Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled The Death of Our Magic Jesus was given by Bill Doctrum and is the 24th in our series, The Kingdom. Last week, uh, if you were with us, we were uh, kind of following Jesus around as he tried to avoid uh, crowds. Uh, and he was moving from uh, Gentile territory where uh, we're in... Um, uh, he was, he was uh, kind of incognito or trying to be, uh, and there discovered. Uh, and, and from that area, he, he, he went around as far as he could to the north and came down uh, on the far east side of the Sea of Galilee to another Gentile territory uh, where, where he healed a, uh, a person who was deaf and who had lost the ability to speak um, kind of surreptitiously, secretly. Uh, Jesus is very careful. He knows that the pot, using that imagery that we used last week, is beginning to move towards the boil. And, and timing is critical uh, on, this, on this journey. He's got to show up in Jerusalem about two, two or so weeks from now, uh, two or three, uh, excuse me, two or, th- two or three months from now at uh, Passover. Uh, and, and so the, the tension that begins to build politically is, is beginning to tear at the mission that he came to, to, uh, to inaugurate. The kingdom is coming. Jesus gets what's going on here in a way, of course, that nobody else gets. Um, but he also gets the pressure that is on him from, from just the forces around him to conform, to, to push into a certain style of what it means for him to be Messiah. So that's where we're at in, in, in Mark chapter 8 today. If you need a, a Bible, we've got a few around the edges. Maybe I could get some guys to give me a hand. Anybody need one or want one that didn't bring one with you this morning? Looks like everybody's got one. Okay, cool. We're on in Mark chapter 8. I'm on page 819. And we're going to work through a, a good chunk of Scripture this morning. Um, last day, last week, we were in uh, the 31st chapter, uh, 31st verse of chapter 7. Jesus is on the eastern shore, and the reason I keep on doing this geography lesson for you is not because it just fascinates me, which as it turns out it does, uh, but because it's important that you see where things happen uh, and get the strategy that Jesus is employing here. He's not just wandering around kind of taking advantage of things. He's very deliberate. He's very strategic about what he says to whom and where he says it. So we want to pay attention to that as we're in the first verse of chapter 8, where it says, In those days, there then again was a great crowd without anything to eat. So he called to his disciples and said, I have compassion for the crowd because they've now been with me for three days and have run out of food. They have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, How can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. So he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and after giving thanks, he broke them. And gave them to his disciples to distribute, and they distributed them to the crowd. 
They had also a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled. They took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now, there were about 4,000 people. Then he sent them away and immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He left them. Getting into the boat again, he went across to the other side. Now, the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. So Jesus cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, it's because we have no bread. Becoming aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive? Don't you understand? Are your hearts hardened? Don't you, you have eyes, and yet you fail to see. You have ears, yet you fail to hear. Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said, Um... Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said, um, seven. Then he said to them, do you not yet understand? And the answer, boys and girls, to that question is, no. Right? So here we go through this, this, this story. It's a, a wonderful little, you know, kind of snapshot into the life of Jesus. In the life of the disciples. Anybody at this time just want to, let's start over again with a new group of disciples. These guys are not getting this at all. They're kind of clueless in Seattle. They're just kind of walking through here, trying to figure out what's going on and getting it as wrong as everybody else does, it seems. Right? So, again, we're on the east side. Do you want to do my slide again? <laughs> Larry's so kindly volunteered to find my slide again. You see where we are, Sea of Galilee, Bethsaida, upper right-hand corner. We're going to end up there next week. Uh, so we're down on the western shore. We're in Gentile territory in the region called Decapolis. Jesus' reputation, just leave that, uh, go ahead and leave that up. Thanks, Larry. Has, 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 has now... Uh, begun to spread outside of, of Galilee, outside of Jewish-controlled territory into the Gentile regions, right? So the, the blind, uh, excuse me, the deaf man, the dumb man from last week, the man who had lost the ability to speak from last week, has spread the message, and now 4,000 people gather together with Jesus in the desert. If you follow that region, even today, it's, it's a barren, desolate landscape, right? So... So it's not a place that you would go for any other reason than that something compelled you to go. And 4,000 people went from the regions of the ten cities and found themselves with Jesus. And get this, they camped out with him, listening to him teach for what amounted to three days. Their 
journey from home to hear Jesus was not carefully thought out, was not planned. We're going to go on a weekend retreat. Let's take food for us and the kids. None of that. It was they picked up as quickly as they could, whatever they could grab, and went out into the desert so drawn to the ministry and message of Jesus were they that they were not thinking about future. They were only thinking about getting to Jesus as fast as they could and spending as much time with him as he would allow them to. I love that imagery, by the way. It's just in behind the story, but you get it as we come now towards the middle of the third day. Food is beginning to run out, right? And Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's on a break from teaching, um, they're hungry. I have compassion on them. Remember now, these are not Jews. These are Gentiles. These are not people of the table. Remember from last week? The, the, the table is spread for the children. These are not the children. These are the ones underneath the table waiting for crumbs to fall off the table, right? And Jesus says, I have compassion for them. My heart is broken for them the way it was broken for the 5,000 up on the left side between Capernaum and Bethsaida up there. That's where he fed the 5,000 not too many chapters ago, right? My heart bleeds for them as much as it did for that group back then. For the Jews as well as the Gentiles, yes, but also the Gentiles as well as the Jews. For the people who are the children of promise, yes, but for the people who are the children of no promise, my heart beats for them too. And they're hungry at the end of the day. If I send them away, some of them will faint. Some of them will, will, will give out on their way home. Let's provide them with adequate nourishment to at least get them home. This is the strategy. You, you, you feel what's going on? The disciples said, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? Now, remember, it's only like two chapters ago that they watched and were participant with Jesus in the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children. So any estimates ranging between 12 and 15,000 people Jesus fed, right? And their question here is, how can anyone feed so many people here in the desert? How can anybody do this? And it's like, guys, didn't you come back from the commercial break? Are, what, did you, is, is the TiVo not working? You didn't catch episode number 38 for crying out loud. Don't you get what's going on here? And the answer is no. They don't get what's going on. In fact, what are they really concerned about? Not who is going to feed these 5,000, but when do we get to eat. Because as it turns out, it's not that there's no bread, it's that it's their bread. So Jesus, I love the twinkle in his eye when he says this, well guys, how much do y'all have left? Uh, seven loaves. But look, count, 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 there's 12 of us, there's 12 of us, that's just over a half each, don't be, don't be messing with our loaves. Because they're starting to feel, oh, crap, this isn't going to turn out good for us. Right? Seven. Okay. Well, everybody sit down. We got plenty. Oh, 
gee, here we go again. But not again. It's the second time, but not again. Now, by the way, this is... A, the, I'm just step out of the story for a moment. This is Mark's... One of his favorite things. Remember, I talked to you about this before. How he takes stories, divides them in two, and tells them in two parts. The reason for that will become clear next week. Hopefully, if you come back, uh, we'll hear why Mark is doing this. We won't get the full end point of it, but Mark always makes a second beat on every, almost every story of importance. And that's, this second beat, by the way, is to set the church up for God's heart for the Gentile community, for the non-Jews, for the people who are not part of the table, the children, right? God's heart for the rest of the world. Um, and, and that's part of what that second beat is about. But right now, the disciples are just going through as if nothing had ever happened before. They've been following Jesus now for almost two and a half years. It was only 10, 15 minutes ago that he, in, in the telling of the story, that he fed 5,000 people, 15,000 people, right? With five loaves and two fish. Now we got seven loaves. And their concern is still, when do we eat? When do we eat? So, now back in. Jesus sets the people down on the thing, and he takes their five loaves, and, and along the way, Somebody realizes, well, these fish that we've been storing up, keeping secret from him, are no good if we don't have any bread. We might as well throw them into the pot, right? And then he takes the fish and divides those, those up. Here's, here's the lesson. You've heard this. If you've grown up in Sunday school, you've heard this over and over and over again. But the lesson is critical for us to understand. Whatever you keep in your hand is all you will ever have. But if you take what is in your hand, and give it to Jesus, you will be taken care of, and so will the nations. Very straightforward lesson. And what is in your hand? It could be a talent, could be a gift, could be bread, could be money. But whatever you keep in your hand is yours to negotiate, yours to manage with. How far can you make seven loaves go when there's 4,000 people to feed? Jesus wants you to Learn how to participate with him in the feeding of the thousands by releasing your grip on what you need for your own sustenance. Does that make sense? It's critical for us because we have a city of thousands, hundreds of thousands around us. And what talents, what gifts, what abilities, what things that he places into our hands as individuals, as the garden, right? If we can't keep on, they're, they're, they're going to feed us and our family, and that's it. But if we will release them to him, who knows what he might do with not enough. Who knows what he might do with our inadequacy. Who knows how many thousands he might feed if we are less concerned about our needs being met and our hearts begin to beat with his heartbeat. See? So here we go. And at the end of that story, he takes these things in this four-beat rhythm that becomes pattern, uh, a pattern for them. He, uh, look at verse uh, 6 there. He ordered the crowd to sit on the ground. Then he took the loaves, he gave thanks, he broke them and gave them. Taking, breaking, or taking, blessing, breaking, Giving. Those are the four, that's the four beat rhythm by which Jesus 
wants us to live our, our lives, and we'll talk about that and develop it more later. Distributed to the crowd, they had a uh, few small fish, uh, 4,000 people were fed, broken pieces, filled up seven baskets. Verse 8. Now the disciples then, Jesus said, okay, you guys, you've had enough to eat, now head on home. And Jesus and his disciples get in the boat on the, on the western, southwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee and begin to head off. You see the little uh, town called Tiberias and Magdala. Dalmanuta is, is just in between those two. It's a little, it's not even a stop sign on, on, on a back road. It's just a, a kind of a hiccup in the history. In fact, there are very few even historical records of where this place is. So we're moving from the southwest corner about halfway up on the east, on the west side, excuse me, southeast corner, east and west. Anybody else get confused by those? Anyway, so anyway, we're on the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to kind of the western shore just below that little bit of a dip in there. All right? So now, where are we now? We're back in the homeland. We're back in Jewish territory. We're back where Jesus is under the microscope of people's concern. And he gets off the boat and spends not more than a day or two there. And what happens? Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to dispute with him. And notice the nature of their disputation. They want a sign so that they can test him. They want a proving sign, a demonstrating sign, so that by the seeing of that sign and by the, by the parsing it out, they can come to conclusion about who he is and where he came from. Now, the truth of the matter is, what sign would have been adequate for them to have believed the truth about Jesus? Nothing. In fact, they had seen sign after sign after sign for the last two and a half years, and not one single one of them had escaped explanation that didn't result in their knowing who Jesus was. They had come to conclusion he was demon-possessed and was operating as a result of the, of the prince of, the, of the, the Lord of the Flies, literally translated, right? They had come to the conclusion uh, that, that he was operating uh, uh, as a false prophet, that he ought not to be believed. They believed everything about Jesus but the truth. Miracles do not, in and of themselves, prove anything if you don't already believe. This is really important because it's going to become the next stage of this. And Jesus is just frustrated. Uh, he, he, this, this language that he uses in verse 12 there, he sighed deeply in his spirit. There's just this, oh, but not just physically. You ever have that sense when you're working with somebody, you're trying to get them, you're trying to bring them along. Maybe if you're a teacher and you're bringing them through a concept or, or you're a trainer at work and, and, and they're, they're kind of starting, kind of maybe sort of, sort of, and then just they say some bonehead thing or they do some completely off the wall, and it's like, oh, back, gentlemen, this is a football. Remember uh, from, uh, from uh, Notre Dame? Uh, the, the foot, back to the basics, right? This is a football. Uh, oh, okay. 
right? And, and Jesus is just, is just this, this, just this, uh, right? So he says, no sign will be given to this generation. Now, that does not mean that miracles won't continue to happen. In fact, they will. It's just that they won't be signs because if you don't have eyes to see, it does not matter what you see, you won't see. If you don't have ears to hear, if your heart is not set on hearing, it does not matter what powerful words register on the auditory nerve, you won't hear. And by seeing and hearing, Mark is talking about understanding. Keep that in mind because seeing as understanding will become important for us next week. Okay? So Jesus gets back in the boat. Why doesn't he go on land? He's taking the pot off boil. Everywhere Jesus goes on land, hundreds and thousands of people gather around him. People have not yet perfected the art of walking on water. So water is still a safe place for Jesus to be away from the crowds. With me? So he gets on the boat in the, uh, on, on the west shore, just north of Tiberias, just south of Magdala, and heads northwest, uh, uh, no, northeast, towards the region of Bethsaida up there. That's where he's going now, which is where we pick up uh, kind of the story in verse uh, 22, which we'll talk about next week. So verse 14, he's so fast getting back in the boat that the disciples have not had time to take care of the one thing they are most worried about, namely food, right? They only had time to gather one loaf of bread I wonder, I can't help but wonder, to be honest with you, if in the previous story they really had eight, not seven, and one of them just hit it because they knew he was going to take whatever they gave him. I, I don't know that for sure. It's apocryphal. I'm just making it up as I go along. Don't quote me. But I'm wondering if somewhere in the bottom of the boat is this scuzzy loaf of bread that they kept back from the miracle, and that's what they have. I don't know. I don't know. Do we, does anybody else do that? Okay, good, good. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one, right? So, so now they had forgotten to bring bread in, 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 and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Verse 15, here's Jesus is saying. Unaware, by the way, it seems, of their only having one loaf, Jesus says to them as he gets in the boat out of this deep anguish of spirit, this sigh that breaks his heart. Can you feel the break of his heart? Because remember, he came to these people. The Pharisees were the leaders of these people. If, if they had embraced the message of the gospel, it would have, could have gone a different way, but they didn't. And while Jesus gets the strategy that is going to see him crucified, his heart still breaks for his people and for the rejection that will result in his crucifixion. Right? Remember, his last prayer before he goes off to die is... If there's any other way, let's find it. Death was not something Jesus wanted. It was something he willed to embrace. That's different. Right? So here he is still longing for another option. Right? And the Pharisees, who are the leaders of the, 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 the nation, say, show us a sign. Prove to us who you are. What could he have done? So the disciples are in the boat and Jesus is just out of this anguish saying to them, guys, 
guys, watch out for the yeast, for the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out for the yeast of Herod. Yeast is a, an, a, an agent that you put into flour, which when mixed with water of a certain temperature, causes the loaf to rise. Right? So it's, it is, it, it is a, a product that by its very nature needs to spread into all parts of the loaf of bread so that it can work its wonder, right? Work its magic. Judy made bread yesterday. She makes a, 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 a rosemary, thyme, some Italian wonderful thing. Oh, okay. Anyway, I, I, obviously I'm not the only one concerned about bread. Anyway, so she makes this stuff, and, 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 and you got to, you, you know, you, you, you proof it, right? Anybody make bread? Uh, no? Bread machine, bread, whatever. Anyway, so she, she gets this all thing in, and then she covers it up and lets it rise in the, in, 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 and, and the warmth and the, oh, and it's, what? Oh, bread, bread. Anyway, so, 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 but in order for that to work, that yeast has to infiltrate every part of the loaf. And that's why yeast is used in the Old Testament as a symbol when the children of Israel are leaving Egypt, they are told to break and bake, excuse me, bake bread without yeast, unleavened bread. Purely as a practical consideration, we don't want bread rising as we're trying to travel. We don't want large loaves when all the nourishment can be contained in a flat bread. So that's the logical reason. But that then becomes a symbol for leaving Egypt behind in Egypt. And yeast becomes a sign, a symbol of sin, of unbelief. And Jesus is here saying, when you are attending and allow the yeast of the Pharisees, we'll talk about what that is in a minute, and the yeast of Herod into the loaf of your lives, it will infiltrate and affect every single square cubic, excuse me, cubic inch of the loaf that is your life. Watch out. Watch out for that. Watch out for that. And what did the disciples think he was talking about? He thought he had caught them with the eighth loaf. Right? What was he really saying? What was the yeast of the Pharisees? The last conversation Jesus has with the Pharisees gives us a clue. What's the yeast of the Pharisees? The longing for a miracle. The longing for a sign. And Jesus says, watch out for that insidious part of your heart that wants proof for something that is unprovable that wants a miracle, that wants the magic, that wants the superstition. Watch out for that. Because once that takes root, that once that becomes part of your journey of Jesus, it will infiltrate and affect every other thing. You will be looking for signs in relationships. You will be looking for uh, uh, coincidences that you will interpret as signs. You will be misled and led astray by the yeast of the Pharisees. Because if you need a sign 
no sign will be sufficient. And you will be misled by signs. It's a concern I have, quite frankly, uh, in, in the church today, not our church necessarily, but in the church today with the quest after words, prophetic words. It's this, this lust after some supernatural or spiritualized experience that then, if it's phrased in the right way, or if... It, now, 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 don't get me wrong. I believe in words of prof- prophecy. I believe God can speak to the church. But, but I've gotta be, we've got to be careful, right, that we don't lust after those kind... And I'm using that word deliberately because I think that's what ends up happening, where well, we'll run from one prophet to the other, one word to the other. And, 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 and we're just trying to, instead of just doing the simple, basic walking that Jesus called us to do, right? And he says, watch out also for the, for the yeast of Herod. We haven't heard much about Herod in the gospel, but the one time we heard, hear about him is in the previous chapter when John just kind of sows the story of Herod's killing John the Baptist. And when the disciples go out and start performing miracles... Herod interprets the miracles as if John the Baptist has come back from the dead. He is uh, going to, in fact, conclude that Jesus is John reincarnate as a result of the miracles. And in one of the Gospels, what does Herod require if Jesus is... Remember at the execution, I'm I'm bouncing all over the place. Hopefully you're you're tracking with me here. Uh, At the end of Jesus' life, Pilate who is pronouncing sentence over him, discovers Jesus is from Herod's territory, shuttles him off to Herod, and Herod wants him to do a sign in exchange for his release. A sign. Same thing. The yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod are the quest after the miracles. The longing, the lust for a sign when no sign will be good enough. You with me? And Jesus is just saying, guys... As, you, as we move forward here, don't, 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 don't get your eyes off the main prize. This is going to become very important because what does following Jesus result in for these disciples, for all of us? Where is Jesus going? He's going to the cross. And if the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast, the longing, the lust for the miraculous, for magic Jesus comes in, we will not be following Messiah Jesus where he leads. We'll be looking for an outcome. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, even in our lives as Christians, right? How many of us have gotten sideways with Jesus because he hasn't done some miracle that we would have done had we been Jesus? Right? And we, we're sideways with him. We, you're not the Messiah I want. Next, please. And get, he, he gets it. He gets it. He says, watch out for this. This is going to take you sideways. This is going to take you off the roll. You're, you're going to start buttoning your shirt the wrong way. You're going to put the first button in the second hole. It does not matter how well you button thereafter. You're going to end up with an extra hole and an extra button. You with me? Jesus gets this. If you don't get the first button in the first hole, it does not matter how well you follow thereafter. You're going to end up wrong. And that's what he's saying here. Watch out. Watch out for the yeast. Watch out for the lust. Watch out out for the quest for proof 
The people who need a sign don't get them because no matter what happens, it's not a sign. The people who don't need a sign are the ones who receive the miracles as they come graciously from the hand of God. Because I believe in miracles. It's just that they don't prove anything. It's hard for us. Moderns in a postmodern world, it's hard for us. But Jesus himself said, look, even if somebody were to raise from the dead, they still will not believe. So Jesus is Jesus just passing off this comment. Um, don't be buying into the yeast of the Pharisees. And the disciples are here yeast and immediately think, bread. Oh, man, he caught us. And they're saying, well, yeah, man, they said, it's, it's because we have no bread that he said this, verse 16. And Jesus overhears them and says, oh. Why are you talking about bread? Okay, guys, let's go back to kindergarten. Remember, like three or four days ago, five, six weeks ago, whenever it was, even you can't have forgotten when we were up over there and 5,000 people, right? 12, 15,000, How many baskets full of bread did you collect? Twelve. Yes, good. Now, remember, like yesterday, when we, uh, does your Jesus ever get an attitude? I'm thinking, I'm just thinking that maybe he's a little kind of just right at the edge. He needs some alone time, you know? I'm thinking, because here, here for, I mean, it's yesterday, and they're worried. They're worried about bread, right? How many did you collect after, like, we fed 4,000, seven bushel baskets full. Was that enough for y'all? Maybe you call it needs to, guys need to go on a little bit of a fast here. Anyway, uh, and, and, and then he says, do you not yet? And, and notice what he says here. Verse um, 17. Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have you eyes and not see? Have you ears and not hear? And the answer is, yeah. We don't know what you're doing. We don't know what's going on. Next week, we'll begin to get a sense of what it would mean for them to see. But as we conclude this morning, I'm going to ask Pete and the team to come back up here and and just uh, lead us in a time of response. I want to invite you to consider whether it's time for your magic Jesus to be put on the shelf and for you to begin to follow the true and living God who does whatever he wants, even if it's not satisfactory to you. I sense that some of you have been disappointed with magic Jesus of late because he hasn't come with his bag of tricks as often as you might like him to. What is he doing? He's training you in trust, whether it works or not. He's training you in following because you know who he is, whether it works or not. Does that make sense? I'm going to invite you just to lean into that 
as we sit and respond. If you want to find a place at the cross, both sides, if you want somebody to pray with you, there will be somebody with a tag to pray with you. We invite you into this. Pete leads us in a, in, a, in a way that invites plenty of space. So as he creates that space, I'm going to invite you to enter into worship, not watch them worship. All right? And let's just set our hearts before the Lord. Lord Jesus, um, we sit with this text this morning and we recognize we're just like those disciples. We want stuff from you so that we know you still love us, so that we know that you still care about us, so that we know that you're still God. And we have a, a, a short list that gets longer every day of things that we want you to do for us. Please, oh Lord, help us to follow you as you are. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear other messages from The Garden, or if you would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.